Hey friends, welcome to the Better Bible Reading Podcast with Kevin Morris. Glad to have you with me for another episode where we are quickly approaching the end of the year. And you know as well as I, as we have made it through the Thanksgiving time, hopefully it was a time of Thanksgiving for you and not a time of drudgery. But either way, we're immediately thinking of Christmas and we're thinking of New Year's and we're thinking of cashing in on the last of our vacation or something like that or trying to stay out of the red until the new year or whatever it is that you're thinking of. The point is our wheels typically are spinning at this point. We have this great sense of uh, alertness or this great sense of uh, crisis. We have so much to do, so many, so much things to think about and so little time that we can easily become distracted from enjoying the time that the Lord gives us each and every day being a blessing, but especially each and every season being a blessing. And I, for one, am glad that I can be recording this episode in my study in a long sleeve without being totally annihilated by the Florida heat. And so I'm glad for this particular season where it starts to get just a little bit colder than normal. But with that being said, one of the other things that we tend to think about once we get to this time of year is how next year is going to be different, or if next year is going to be different. And we start to think of those New Year resolutions, we think of new Bible reading plans as we enter into 2022 and beyond. Uh, But one of the things that I always like to do once I get to the end of the year, is to start reflecting on what worked and what really didn't work for me. Because, as you know, the Better Bible Reading Podcast, by yours truly, is not my recipe for success because I am an absolute expert. This is really a uh, public form of my own experimentation, and so I always try to share what I think is working for me, what I'm trying to do a little bit differently in the coming year. And I always like to share that because I find that the more I can share with you, the more motivated it makes me uh, to try to do better in my studies and my consistency and all of that. And the more I have to think about it in a kind of concentrated way, uh, enough to make an episode about it. Uh, I find that that critical thinking and that time to reflect uh, helps me even more. And so uh, you can now be mad at me for knowing that I'm simply using all of you as pawns for my own I- improvement. But hopefully this show has, has been uh, a help to you as well. Hopefully the things that I share are things that you don't just find interesting, but that you're actually putting into practice. And so what I have tried to do every year coming into the, th- the third full year of this show now is not always do the same exact thing going into January. I don't always share the same Bible reading plan. I don't try to give you the same exact advice every single year. I like to switch things up a little bit, but the point is still uh, pushing you to greater consistency and joy in reading your Bible because we all need that motivation. We all need that reminder of the preciousness of God's Word. And so this episode, in some ways, is built on my own reflection of what did and what didn't work for me this year, as well as trying to give you a head start 
into 2022, but also remembering that our motivation to do better shouldn't start January 1st and burn as a uh, blazing fire until the flame finally gets snuffed out somewhere around summer or fall, or maybe we make it into the month of December, but by then we're just totally spent. I don't want it to be like that. Instead, I think that we should make the most of all of the time that the Lord gives us. And that means something that I do typically say is finish the year strong. If you have been privileged enough to take a step back and think about what you have done this year, especially in terms of your spiritual growth, in terms of your reading the Bible, thinking about what worked and what didn't work, what I don't want you to do is to simply coast through the rest of this year as if it doesn't matter anymore. Instead, what I want you to do is finish the year strong, start thinking about things you could do next year, but don't wait until next year to put them into play. Do as much as you possibly can, the best that you can possibly do it. And so what I wanted to do on this episode is to share with you some general tips that I think will be helpful for you uh, to get the most out of your Bible reading. And primarily, these are going to be things that don't cost any money. And hopefully that is encouraging to you because you know that you're blowing your paycheck on everybody else and trying to figure out how everything's going to work out. Uh, Or you don't want to buy something for yourself even if you can because you've sent out your list to everybody. But typically, when we think about specializing in something, we normally associate that with meaning we got to spend money. And so if something doesn't work, spend more money to make it work in a better way than, than what it is. And the same can be said about studying the Bible. When we think that our Bible study isn't working, we might tend to gravitate towards the idea of, oh, well, I need to buy new reading software. I need to get Logos Bible software. I need to spend hundreds of dollars on that. Or I need to get that calfskin Bible that I've really been looking at that's $250. I need to get that and so I can do a better job at reading the Bible. Or well, I really want to buy this course curriculum that's going to help me. Or, you know, insert your scenario. But the point is, it's good to spend money on something that matters as much as the Bible. It's good to invest in something that has spiritual benefit and not just the here and now benefit. But there's so many ways that we can improve without spending a dime. And so hopefully uh, these are going to come across in a really helpful way for you And so these are in no particular order. These are just some things that I think would be helpful. And the first one is learn how highlight in your Bible. If you don't have a highlighting system in your Bible, you need to come up with one. There's not really a right or wrong one because the whole purpose is doing it for you. And so whatever method you choose or whatever approach you take, however many colors you decide to use, are all going to be based on what works for you. There's no spiritual correlation between neon green and neon yellow. But the point is, come up with something that works. I myself am a big fan of sticking to three colors for the most part. Sometimes I'll do four. Um, But coming up with a system that works, I find that wide margin Bibles work best, and I'll try to show that on the screen there. 
where you have room to write something off to the side. In other words, you could simply come up with a reason for using a particular color, and if you remember what that reason is, then you'll understand why you highlighted it, that particular color throughout the Bible. But one thing that is helpful is if you have a wide margin Bible, you have room for notes off to the side. And so instead, let those colors designate the kind of notes that you're going to be taking off to the side. Because I don't know if you know this, but even if you buy a, a wide margin Bible and you fill it with notes, those can become so disorienting to your eyes as you look and just see text everywhere, not a blank space in sight. You have the Bible text and you have your own text all over the place, just a massive confusion. But if you have some color codes in there, then you can look at the page and automatically know what kind of note that is in the top right-hand corner because it's colored orange, or what kind of note this is because on the middle of the page is highlighted in yellow. Come up with some kind of a system that will help you highlight and use it to your advantage. If you just sporadically used a highlighter here and there, highlighters are okay, but if there's no rhyme or reason to using them, they can actually become more of a distraction uh, than to not have them at all. And so come up with some kind of a system to use highlighters in your Bible. Make sure you have a Bible that you want to use a highlighter on, so make sure you might not want to use one in a study Bible or you don't have room to write anything. Uh, instead, find a Bible that at least has uh, a generous size margin or buy a wide margin Bible. But either way, you should have a Bible that at least has enough room to make some small notes without having to buy one. Because again, the whole point of this is to not have to spend any money. And so you probably have highlighters at your house already. And so that whole mindset should be helpful. I hope it's helpful for you. Go into the year 2022 with a, a purposeful intent behind using highlighters in your Bible. And that method of note-taking, of reference points on each page, will really help you start to digest what's there on each and every page. And so you come away learning, come away growing, increasing in knowledge, and not just a transaction of looking at words on the page and writing words with your own pen and highlighting words with your own pen, and then it's in one ear and out the other, so to speak. Uh, the second one, again, something that is uh, closely related to the whole mindset behind using a highlighter, uh, but that is something that's already on the text, hopefully, um, that you can just make use of, and that is cross-references. Not every Bible has cross-references, but I would say, unless you have a consolidated version of a, of a Bible, by that I mean it's like a thin-line Bible, or it's a pocket size or personal size, is normally what you hear, that is going to be very minimalistic on what's there. In general, unless you have one of those kind of Bibles, your Bible is going to have cross-references. Now, the difference is where those cross-references are at. So, for example, in this wide margin Bible I have, the cross-references are on the bottom right-hand corner of every page. And you probably can't see that quite as well, but on every page you have uh, just a little block in the bottom right-hand corner 
that shows all the cross-references. I also have a study Bible here. And so let me open this up and see where those cross-references are. So on this study Bible, the cross-references are on the, the inside margin on both pages. What those cross-references are, if you don't know, is they are reference points that cross with or intersect with, as it were, other verses in the Bible. And these are almost always designated by letters. Typically, you will see in your Bible, as you read, let's say on this page, I just happen to turn to Psalm 9. So in Psalm 9 and verse 1, it reads, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. Now, where that word wonderful comes into play, there's an italicized small g right beside the word wonderful. That small g is a cross-reference point, and that g calls me to the answer key, so to speak, of that block of cross-reference information that's wherever it is on your Bible, in this case, the bottom right-hand corner. So if I look to that, sp that space on the page, I can see that that g is right there for verse 1, and it says, Psalm 26, verse 7, semicolon 40, verse 5, semicolon 96, verse 3, semicolon 105, verse 5. What all of those are doing is calling me to those passages in the Bible and saying that those passages are going to be very similar. Sometimes they're going to be exact. Or they're going to be very similar to what I just read there about the wonderful deeds of the Lord, recounting all your wonderful deeds. This is really helpful because if you come across a certain phrase in the Bible and you're not really sure what it means, or maybe you say, I feel like I've read that or something similar to it somewhere in the Bible before, but I don't know where it is. Let's just say you don't have your smartphone or you don't have your computer beside you, so you can just do the Google search. Uh, to find out what that verse is. This is telling you, this is where it is. This is telling you, for a larger picture of this, go to these verses. Really helpful, and one of the most overlooked things uh, in terms of reading our Bibles, most people uh, might not be making use of this. And it's a very helpful thing, and it's a lot of legwork, by the way, on the front end, just to think about uh, the people that have done this, of course, we have you know computer systems and stuff in Bible software that make this so much easier and referencing and whatnot. Uh, but just think, the whole idea of cross-references way back as they debuted was way before computers. And just to think of all the legwork that was done to try to show how the Bible is uh, this cohesive thought, not a whole bunch of scattered uh, fortune cookie phrases copied and pasted onto, onto page after page, but the fact that God's word is consistent, that is a living, breathing word that doesn't contradict itself, but instead it, it gives us glimpses of something that is much bigger, and that much bigger are all the other verses that come in to support what we just read. Make use of those. I really want to encourage you uh, to find where those cross-references are in your Bible. Uh, again, you normally look at the very bottom of the page, down the middle, or in the inside margins. 
You'll see them make use of them, and you'll find out that you'll uh, have a much bigger picture of the text. You'll start to connect the dots. You'll start to see how the Bible fits together with any given concept. Okay, so highlighting cross-references. And now this other one. I brought up uh, study Bibles. And here's mine. This particular one is the Reformation Study Bible with the late, great R.C. Sproul as the general editor. This is something that uh, Ligonier Ministries put together. Um, this is a great study Bible. I also have the ESV Study Bible, which I'm a huge fan of. But this one I love because of the way that it is set up. Now, it's the Reformation Study Bible. So in this, you're really going to have uh, more of a consistently reformed approach to all of the study notes. Uh, the ESV Bible um, is broadly reformed. Um, if that's hopefully that is something that's important to you, is how reformed or not reformed something is. Uh, but let's just say you don't really care much, um, then you'll be interested to know that the ESV is a little more broad. Uh, we might say evangelical, but maybe a little more broad. Whereas uh, the Reformation Study Bible is much more consistently Reformed and Calvinistic in its study notes. But beyond that, study Bibles are not just about the study notes. They're also about all of the added features that come. So uh, this one, I'm just glancing here at the uh, table of contents. Um, this one does have some maps and illustrations. ESV Study Bible beats all others, in my opinion, in terms of maps and illustrations and the color, colored maps and illustrations, not just black and white. Um, they are really good, but I really like this one, the Reformation Study Bible, because not only do we have uh, excellent notes on all the 66 books of the Bible, excellent introductions and all of that that you... Uh, expect to see at the beginning of each book, but also there are some really good articles, uh, topical articles that are included in this, such as on apologetics, the Bible and church history, the Bible versus other sacred texts, uh, canonicity, covenant theology, creeds and confessions, hermeneutics, on and on. Um, speaking of creeds and confessions, um, the other thing that I really, really appreciate about this study Bible and, and some Bibles that aren't study Bibles will have this in there. But this uh, study Bible has all of the historic uh, ecumenical creeds and confessions. So that would be uh, before the split of uh, the Protestants with the Roman Catholic Church, as well as the historical uh, reformed creeds and confessions. And that would be the Heidelberg Catechism uh the Belgic Confession, the Canons of Dort, of course, as a Presbyterian, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith with the Catechisms, and then for Reformed Baptists, if you're not a Presbyterian, Reformed Baptists, they have the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. These are worth their weight in gold in this study Bible alone because you can turn to the back of it and you can see um, just a, a two column. Uh, recording of all of these creeds and confessions. Um, I find that it is so nice to have all of this. Now, this is a thick, bi uh, thick study Bible, by the way, but 
it's so nice to have all of these right here because instead of having to carry around you know the Westminster standards and then carry around your Bible and then carry around something else you have right here um, as close as you can get to uh, a handheld computer in terms of theological content you have the entire Bible you have all the study notes you have all the articles and then you have all of the creeds and confessions that are uh, recognized uh, throughout the history of the church. Just everything right there at your fingertips to where whatever uh, reading or devotional process you like to go through, uh, let's say first thing in the morning or at the end of the day, um, everything is right here. And because the book is so thick, um, I don't feel that you have to really uh, kind of sacrifice the size of the text. Uh, it's really very readable. So if you were to get just one study Bible, I think this one's really the all-around best one in terms of uh, historical tradition of, of where all of the writers are coming from in this book, as well as the, the content itself. Um, and it comes in several different translations. I have the ESV study Bible. You can get the Reformation study Bible as an ESV uh, but this one I got as the New King James just because I wanted to have something a little bit different. Uh, but a point, the point is, you can invest and buy a good study Bible, and I strongly uh, suggest that you do. But I'm willing to bet money that you have a study Bible at your house. Study Bibles, while not every translation of the Bible is great, study Bibles in general, unless it's just one person, Study Bibles have such a rigorous process and such a uh, vetting process of the scholarship that there's no way, theoretically speaking, to get a study Bible that is going to be so theologically bad <laughs> that it won't help you at all. And so maybe get your eye on a study Bible you really want to invest in, but in the meantime, pick up that study Bible that's just been lying around your house. Pick up the study Bible that you got from one of your parents that maybe you inherited that, that they used and you wanted to keep it because it was sentimental but you never really cracked it open to see what all was there. Make use of the study Bible you have and see uh, what great benefits, what great features are there right there in it and start making use of it in a way that can really uh, help you grow. Okay, so study Bibles. Cross-references, highlighting, those are all things hopefully you have. Now, here's a different method of study. Let's say in all of these methods, you're going to the Bible first, and then you're trying to learn from there. Uh, you're going straight to the source material. Well, how many times have you thought about something that you like to study? You weren't at your house, you didn't have your Bible with you, but you thought of something that really piqued your interest. Maybe a certain book of the Bible. Maybe you heard <clears throat> a little snippet of a sermon on the radio, and that text of Scripture was intriguing to you, and you said, I'm going to go back and, and check that out. But you never do. You never do, because as soon as you have that thought, something else happens in the day, and it distracts you, and you forget about it, and then all of a sudden... That little inkling of a thought, of an idea, is gone. This is where the old trustworthy notepad comes into play. And I am sure that you have one of these 
at your house somewhere, even if it's one of the uh, little cube of, of sticky notes. It doesn't matter. The point is, although we're you know technologically savvy, I'm sure you always have your smartphone, so you could use your notes apps on your smartphone. Uh, but let's just say, trying to go a little more old school. Uh, I used to work somewhere that didn't allow me to have my phone with me uh, when I was on the clock. And so I carried around one of these all of the time. And uh, these were great <clears throat> when, you know, somebody calls the work phone, you answer and you have to leave a, a, leave a message because you can't find the person uh, that they're trying to call to reach. Uh, but besides that scenario, this is great for your own thoughts. Because if I'm at work, let's say, or if I'm, you know, stopped in a drive through somewhere and I have a thought about predestination or I have a thought about John chapter 13 or I want to know what exactly the difference is between what Solomon has to say in Proverbs and what he has to say in Ecclesiastes or I can't remember where something is in the book of Revelation. Where is the millennium? Is it in chapter 20? Or is it in chapter 19? I can't really remember. Those ideas, those thoughts about the Bible or thoughts about God, maybe it's more of a political thing. Somebody comes up to you and says, what's the biblical argument for abortion? Or what's the biblical argument uh, that abortion is a sin and not just the, the right of anybody based on their own choice? You might have some general ways that you're going to answer that, but maybe you are saying in the back of your mind, I don't really have a book, chapter, verse, you know, nailed down in my mind like I think that I should. Instead of feeling bad and then moving on with your life, why don't you write down, study more on this topic or this topic or this book? You have it right here on your notepad, so then you can then take that and it is captured, it is kept, it is chronicled. It is no longer a thought that is gone. It is no longer a desire that is then distracted by something else, but it is something that is archived for you to revisit when you get home, when you get in front of your Bible. You know, Jonathan Edwards, uh, it was said, I always wanted to make the best use of his time. And one of the ways that he did was he would go out and go for a horseback ride. <clears throat> and you know, he had all of the unique little uh, systems that he had of, of how things worked and what he could correlate this or that. But what he would do is, uh, the, as the story goes, because he was so uh, low on, on paper and he was so uh, poorly funded for something like pa paper, seemed like it was a big co a commodity at the time. For him, uh, but he would have these little scraps, and he would pin them to his jacket as he was riding. And I don't know exactly how much he would write on it, but basically the location or where he would put it was to help him think of what particular topic it was in theology or in biblical studies that he was thinking on when he was on his horseback ride. So when he got back to his house and got into his study, he could take where those little scraps of paper were pinned onto his coat and remember what that thought was, and then quickly record it so he didn't lose it. I mean, you don't have to go to that extreme, uh, but this little notepad that you carry around can go a long way in achieving the same goal uh, that good old Jonathan Edwards had.
and we certainly know you know how big of a impact he has made on Christianity because of doing things like that. Uh, who knows if his thought for books like Freedom of the Will or something like that or Religious Affections uh, would have been lost forever because he forgot to uh, pin it down and he had this idea to write a book and then it was totally gone. So, In the same vein as making notes on your little notepad, let's think about some ways that we can improve on a process that's already working. So in, in that scenario, we're trying to improve on those thoughts that we're having during the normal day interaction, but we're losing them because we're not recording them. We're recording them so we can revisit them and try to grow and take a thought and progress it forward until we come to a greater knowledge of it from our study in Scripture later on when we're actually in front of our Bible. But here's another one that's somewhat related. Um, that is to study the text that your pastor is preaching in the sermon. Well, there's two ways that you can do this. If you're part of a church that places a premium on expository preaching, which means preaching through books of the Bible, your pastor is preaching through a book of the Bible for you, then it's really easy to anticipate where he's going to go next week. And the answer is the verse that he left off of the, fall, the previous week. You might not know exactly how many verses he's going to handle in the next sermon. But the point is, you can be studying for six days in advance the passage of Scripture that he's about to be preaching on. Now, I find this to be very, very beneficial if you have this option, because how different is it to show up at a dinner table and somebody poses to you a topic that you know nothing about and you're sitting there perhaps interested, perhaps intrigued, but somewhat disconnected from it because you're just being exposed to it for the first time. You might come away from that dinner saying, I had a good time, but I sure do have a lot to learn if I'm going to contribute to or enjoy that conversation better in the future. But now, let's look at the same scenario, but this time you show up to a dinner table where the topic of discussion is your favorite topic to talk about, or it's at least something that you're very familiar with. Chances are, you're going to be way more engaged in that conversation than if it were something that you don't know much about at all. Imagine if you showed up to church having studied that text of Scripture for six days in advance. Are you going to be more engaged or less engaged with the text? Now, you might say, well, less engaged because I've already dealt with it. I've, it's, it's boring. It's old. It's, it's something that I've been you know, already in, living in for all week. But that should be how the pastor is, right? Not in terms of thinking that the text is, is old and boring, but the pastor is showing up having already interacted with the text all week long. If everybody in the congregation showed up having already interacted with the text all week long, they're going to be more engaged. It's going to be something they can relate to even more. And that's where you come in as a member of your local congregation 
if you know what your pastor is going to be preaching on, you can already have been reading and studying it. And so when you show up, it is familiar territory. You're more engaged. You're understanding more of the nuances of what the text says. You're able to take away more from it than if it's something that you don't know. You're going to be more engaged rather than less engaged. But let's say your pastor doesn't do this. Let's say that your pastor doesn't preach through books of the Bible. Let's say your pastor preaches what seems to be sporadically. You never know what the sermon text is going to be until you show up on Sunday morning. <clears throat> While you will lose out on the benefit of the first scenario that I've just said, you can at least improve upon what you've learned in the sermon by taking what the text just was. Let's say you just got out of church, your pastor preached on John chapter 12, the first six verses. Why don't you study those first six verses until the next Sunday? This is more of a reflection instead of a uh, premeditated uh, interaction with the text. You're doing it on the back end rather than the front end, but you're still trying to take that experience of church and improving upon it beyond the hour on Sunday. It's 52 weeks in a year. That's 52 opportunities for in-depth study. And you don't even have to worry about picking a topic. All you have to do is pick the topic that the sermon was. So if your pastor is preaching through books of the Bible, this is great news because you're you doing these in-depth studies beyond just listening to sermons through the Gospel of John you actually doing studies in the Gospel of John on your own throughout the week means that you're going to be very, 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 very familiar with that book of the Bible. But if your pastor doesn't do that, at least you'll have 52 different topics of study, uh, presumably 52 different books of the Bible, uh, that you can do a dedicated study on uh, just by taking the sermon text that he just used. And so these are great ways because that doesn't cost you any money. You don't have to take a course. You don't have to do anything like that. All you have to do is just take the topic, go to your pastor and say, what is the topic? And whatever the sermon just was is the topic. And then you study that for the rest of the week. So a great way uh, to really not only grow, but to take that concept of the sermon during church and improve upon it, to further it, to um, see it multiply in its effect beyond just the hour of, of listening. And then finally, uh, the last one that I want to mention on this episode is perhaps uh, one that's going to be no surprise to you, because if you can see and you, you have already looked on what is on the table, you will see this. Uh, you might be bored to death by me saying theoretical practical theology by Peter Van Maastricht, but I'm going to say it because this, although you don't have to buy the book um, to go through our study of this book together, um, I would highly encourage it. Maybe um, if we're talking about not spending money, there's at least time to put this on your Christmas list. The last time I looked, it's still under $40 to buy Volume 1, and I highly recommend you go to Reformation Heritage Books to buy it because they are the publisher and I am a fan. I don't get any kickback from this, but I'm a fan of supporting them directly because of their great effort in seeing this text come into the English language in full form. But this is our study of systematic theology. We have just started it. We've done two sessions so far. 
every other Thursday. Um, have some exciting things uh, down the pipeline for this as we get further and further. But if you want to dedicate study to all of the big topics of Christianity, God, man, angels, heaven, hell, election, salvation, Christ and his work, all of the things that you could possibly think of, um, that is what Peter Van Maastricht is doing. But he's doing it by way of emphasizing the practical aspect of theology. So he's emphasizing that theology is for life, not just for knowledge. And I am a fan of that because I think that we should uh, live in a way that shows um, what it is that we believe, <laughs> because everybody does. and We don't want to be walking contradictions as we profess to be Christians. And so this is really going to help us bring it to heart and something that I think the Lord will bless and so this is what I'm really excited about in terms of really going through something from A to Z with all of you. And we will be here for a very long time on Teaching Thursdays. Uh, but grab yourself a copy of this. And if you just don't want to spend the money and you just don't want to um, have anybody buy it for you, you can still uh, watch and listen to all the episodes of our study through it. And I'm sure you'll still benefit from it. Uh, but highly recommend that you do this uh, because it will be for your good, and the more people that are involved, the more feedback we can interact with one another, uh, really make the best of it. All right, so that should do it for this episode, but I will say this, because I mentioned a lot of different things, highlighting in our Bibles, cross-references, using study Bibles, notepads, um, sermon passages, all, all of that stuff, a lot of those concepts that I've mentioned I have gone into much greater detail on my website. Now, the good news is you don't have to go to betterbiblereading.com and try to find where all of those are because I've actually put them, consolidated them into one great thing, which is my very first and completely free video course for all of you. Some of you already know this. There's already people who have enrolled in it and began to take it. But just go to betterbiblereading.com and you will see at the very top of the page, Better Reading for Life. I just had to load up the page to make sure it was still there. Um, <clears throat> this course is designed to help minimize your confusion when it comes to reading the Bible and maximize your joy. Um, and it's all about implementing uh, much of what I've talked about, highlighting cross references, all of that, uh, what kind of Bible to use, and all. Just all the ins and outs of what I do, um, not necessarily on a daily basis, because I don't do all of it on a daily basis, but all of those things that I mentioned earlier on the episode, what I've tried, what seems to work well, what I've tweaked to try to work better, and I've put them into a video course to help you. I have made it not just for my own. I don't just sit around at my house and watch myself in the video course. I made it for you to enjoy and you to take from it and put those uh concepts into action. And so really what I'm trying to say is enroll in the free course. It's no money. It's called a free course because it costs you nothing and you will be able to grow in all of these. It's totally on demand so you can do it right now. You don't have to wait for a certain time frame. Go to betterbiblereading.com at the very top of the page and join Better Reading for Life where you can learn in much greater detail how to implement all of this not just to get 2022 off to a good start, but to finish 2021 strong. To finish
finish the rest of this year in a way that glorifies God, makes the most use of your time, and really improves you as a Bible reader. So I'm always here to help you, so please reach out to me if you have any questions. I'll be glad uh, to assist you in any way I can. But of course, thank you so much for watching and listening to this podcast, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Take care. Talk to you soon.